Today's podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you, so you can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and many more, and you can make money from your podcasts. It's everything you need to do to make a podcast in one place. So if you're interested, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Then when she got diagnosed, we were sitting in the hospital. I remember one day and she was asking me, she was, mom, did I, I, I got my cancer again. Will make a wish grant me another wish. Mm. And no, they, it's a one wish policy. She says, mm. but I got my cancer twice. So do you think they'll grant me another wish? <laughs> so I was, I remember I had my back towards her. I was doing something with the medication and I just blurted it out saying, no, we're going to grant wishes instead. Mm. She goes, what does that mean? I'm like, you know, the mom moment where you think you know it all. I'm like, I don't know. And she was painting at that point. She had her paint by number and uh, she said, okay. And uh, at that moment, I looked at a painting and I said, maybe we can start selling your art. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me on Inspiring Growth, where we inspire growth with leaders and their organizations. A few months ago, I was in Flower Mound, Texas at a TEDx talk. And I met a woman whose story stunned me. It, it captured me, it took me on a journey. I was taking notes as fast as I possibly could. Afterwards, I walked up and introduced myself to Manu Shahid. She had figured some things out about struggle and change and growth. And today on the broadcast, Via Zoom from Texas is Manu Shahi. Welcome. Hi there. Thank you for inviting me. I am so glad you could say yes to this. So, Manu, you had you ever done a TED Talk before? This was my first one. <laughs> How did you feel going in? I guess 24 hours before the talk is when I was nervous, but then I was fine. I didn't have my opening till the oh. night before. Oh. Uh, but then once I was up on stage, I remembered I'm there not for myself, to spread my message, to help others. So that just gave me that strength. And, th and that's really who you are, as I've gotten to know you a little bit. You, you're, you've lived your life following this goal, this mantra, with this full focus and attention that by helping others, you're helping yourself. I know that you're an academic life coach, a Zig Ziglar certified trainer and speaker. You're a successful businesswoman and a volunteer, best-selling author. I, I just want to say I'm glad you're going to share with my audience the things that you've been learning about change, the stages of change, and how change moves us to growth. So one of the things that you said in your TED Talk is that emotional pain only lasts 20 minutes and the rest of the suffering is self-inflicted. Can you talk about that? Definitely. That was something that I heard in the hospital through one of the, I believe, a volunteer or a patient. Some, you know, At that time when you're going through hardship, uh, you remember what they said instead of who they were. Mm. It's for, at that point, this person came up to me and said, I know I'm watching you crying. This is what it is. It's emotional pain is just 20 minutes long. And I feel if at that very moment, if you put a timer, we do really good as human beings under boundaries and limitations. Mm. Um, I'll give you a side example. When my husband is in town, I am very regular to the gym. When he's not, I have, I'm like, I'll go at 11, 12, <laughs> one. So we human beings do really good because we want to break through those boundaries and move forward. So similarly, when we are going through pain, if we have this thing that it is within us that we can get out of this pain and actually do something about it, otherwise it's self-inflicted. And so one thing is definitely there are people out there who make complaining their profession. <laughs> if, you, if you give them a solution, they'll be out of a job. Mm. So, so true. Well, let's, let's go back to your story. The story you told, the story that that gave you insight into the four stages of change. Can you, can you tell, I, I really want my inspiring growth listeners to hear and experience your story. What you're seeing is the tip of the iceberg where I am today, but then there is lots more that if I sum total is where, who I am, but little, little ch stories in my life 
to be very honest, have um, helped me from my childhood days till me becoming a parent myself. But the biggest thing was as a parent, when my two and a half year old daughter was diagnosed unexpectedly with leukemia, which was for me, that definitely was a moment that I, being very honest, I didn't even know what, what that meant in 19 you know 2001 uh, 1999 she was born in 2001 she was two and a half and uh, all i remember at that point was i had watched a movie long time back but a girl had blood cancer that's the only term i knew but the, when the doctor actually the doctor was not there it was the intern who came and told me that my daughter is diagnosed i think she has leukemia and i was all by myself my husband had gone to the uh, we had gotten a citizenship a day before so he had gone to pick up citizenship paperwork and I was all by myself when I heard that news. That just threw me off. I was sitting at, that's what I say, at the first stage, first step of uh, growth that is called denial. I'm like, no, it's just a dream and not, nothing can happen. Mm. So we moved from denial to for sitting there for a couple of days crying. So the story is about my daughter who went through, with her I grew. In making her, I became me. I, I totally give this thing that in making my, her, I became me. So what that means is when I was helping her recover, I found myself, my strengths, my weaknesses, everything that I was taught, I put it into action and I could figure it out. This is who I am. Now you grew up in India mm-hmm. yes. and a lot of, of perceptions about India are a very impoverished uh, third world country, but there's so much more going on in India. The things that you learned in India that you brought into your own life, were these stages of growth and change things that you had learned previously, or did you learn it as you made the path? That's a very good question. I believe all every single experience in life did help me a lot. So one thing that definitely helped is my dad believing in me, mm. that uh, he from very beginning, he used to say uh, that I prayed a lot to get a daughter and you are my prayer that mm. was answered. So never, ever doubt yourself. Mm. So every time I went to any doctor appointment or because my husband had to work so that we kept making sure there was insurance and the company he worked for was awesome. So we divided our task. He would take care of the work part. I left my job and I would take care of uh, her. And uh, every single stage, it was those words that my parents told me about myself helped me a lot find that strength. You know, it's interesting, Manu. I I heard it once said that our self-image is shaped by what the most important person in our life thinks about us. Yes, you're right. Good and bad. Good and bad. And in this case, your dad had this belief in you that fueled you. So let's talk about those stages of change. Okay. So Mm -hmm. I wrote down the first is denial. The second Mm -hmm. phase is acceptance. Mm -hmm. The third is maintenance. And the fourth is growth. Walk us through those phases of change and growth as it related to your daughter and you. So when she was diagnosed and sitting in the hospital, I was at the first stage which was denial, that it cannot happen. It was just, it's a mistake. Uh, We have not done anything wrong. I have not done anything wrong. I was like going back and seeing where did I mess up to have the circumstances because she's two and a half. She doesn't know what's going on. And uh, so I was in this first stage, which is called denial, that we deny ourselves that this is not going to happen. We lose, you know, there's a loss of job, change of relationship, husband walking out. We are in denial. Once we get over that pain that, okay, yes, we wake up in the morning and realize that there is a tornado that has hit our city, my life, we accept it. And now I want to go ahead and see how I'm going to go ahead and, you know, move in my life forward. It takes a long time to accept it. Some people will accept it by asking for help from others. And I feel I have a lot of respect for people who will ask for help during that acceptance phase. They will reach out to their local support groups, church, temples, anybody who can support them accepting that I need help at this point. But then I have seen people in the acceptance space. I'm going to accept it by walking out of the situation. I'm going to leave my family. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and file for divorce or something like that. So that mm-hmm. was something I saw a lot of families going through. So once you start accepting it, saying, okay, how am I going to take charge of the situation and fix it? 
mm-hmm. is the second stage of growth because now you're living in it. And when you start living in it and you realize one day that my normal is different from everybody else's normal. So moms used to call me up and say, oh, I had a rough night. My kid has a cold. And I'm like, yeah, you know, my daughter had chemo last night. <laughs> so the comparison, my normal is very different. Oh, no. So it's a small example. We used to go for birthday parties. And every time in a goodie bag, she used to get, you know, clips and hair ties and all that stuff. And she didn't have hair. Mm. So I put took a big Ziploc bag and I used to dump all that stuff. One day she'll wear all that stuff. Mm. So small things that are normal was very different. And we started maintaining our new lifestyle in a different way. So That's the third phase of this maintenance phase. So you've accepted this diagnosis of your daughter. I, I think you said something like your doctor said, my job is to make her healthy. Mm-hmm. Your job is mm. to make her happy. Yes. So this is what happened. So she, we accepted it and everything was going great in our life. Uh, we were trying to get back to a normal lifestyle. And the, the very day that she finished her treatment is the day she had a relapse. Mm. So we were celebrating in the middle of the mm. celebration at 8.30 at night. We got a telephone call from her oncologist. Actually, it wasn't her oncologist. It was the head of the oncology who said uh, that we actually went to the lab ourselves to see if it's a mistake because she was a garden variety case of everything is going to be normal Mm -hmm. and uh, she i think she's getting it back and which is a very different type and more aggressive than before Mm. at that point i was thrown back into the denial aspect i mean we did everything right where did we go wrong in this Mm. situation and i think that was the first time i lost faith in my own self once i accept because now i had experience so i had gone from denial to acceptance faster the the third phase where where we talk about maintenance is when we moved to North Carolina to get her a, a unrelated cord blood transplant. Her oncologist at that point had said that it was his job to make her healthy and my job to make her happy. Mm. Mm. So during that time frame, it was I remember it was Father's Day when we had moved, um, and it so happened it was my birthday and Father's Day held was on the same day, mm-hmm. and we were flying to North Carolina. Riley, that moment, my daughter asked me. Her wish was already granted before by Make a Wish Foundation, and she asked me what, sitting. In what the was hospital, her wish? To go to Disney. Okay, so she, the little yeah. princess. Yeah, she got her wish. She went. She was. Before she went to Disney World, and it was like an amazing experience, to be honest. Mm. I cannot thank the foundation enough. Mm. But then when she got diagnosed, we were sitting in the hospital, I remember one day, and she was asking me, she was, Mom, did I, I, I got my cancer again. Will Make-A-Wish grant me another wish? Mm. And no, they, it's a one-wish policy. She just mm. said, I got my cancer twice, so do you think they'll grant me another wish? Oh. So I was, I remember I had my back towards her. I was doing something with the medication and I just blurted it out saying, no, we're going to grant wishes instead. Mm. She goes, what does that mean? I'm like, you know, the mom moment where you think you know it all. I'm like, I don't know. And she was painting at that point. She had her paint by number and uh, she said, okay. And uh, at that moment I looked at a painting and I said, maybe we can start selling your art. Hmm. And that is when our journey started of giving her, because she was, she used to find happiness in color, mm-hmm. very happy, vibrant young girl. So she used to draw, if you ever look at her paintings, they're full of color. So she started painting and every single color became a part of who she is, even today, that she's a very happy person. So what we realized is that color was giving her happiness and she started painting and we started giving those artworks to make wishes every year. They have a big, uh, wish night which is a black tie event to raise money and the first painting that she made was sold for forty dollars and mm-hmm. uh, that was a little contribution towards her it was giving her happiness so what happened in the maintenance phase was that she was giving maintaining her life by coloring and mm-hmm. in fact to the extent that when she had bad days with her treatment and we used to talk about pain and color okay so what color is your pain right now she used mm-hmm. to go it's black Mm. And then mom, I can think it's becoming brown and it is becoming gray. It's like, so she used to, as the pain level used to change. And I didn't even know there was some therapy at that point, which was like a color therapy. Mm-hmm. I had no idea about it. So when she used to be happy, she used to talk about, she feel this color, pink or purple or orange. Orange is her color for sure. Mm. And uh, so she, every single painting had her, her mood in it, her, mm. whatever she, who she is. 
And she was all about flowers and wild flowers. And I could see that she was growing so much with color and paint. And every single painting where we donated it to Make-A-Wish Foundation. And she had, as a family, we had decided and uh, that by the time she leaves for college, we would raise $100,000 and donate every single penny. That was our goal. And a lot of times people would say, why wouldn't you keep some for yourself? We're like, God has given us enough. Mm. This is her way of giving back. And Mm. that's what she wants to do. So I, I can tell you, the hardest part was when she used to bring this painting, painting, working on it for a couple of weeks, months actually. And, and it was time to give it away. It's hard for an artist to give, it, oh. give her away the painting. And yes. I'm talking about an eight and a nine year old at that point. And she's like, uh, mom, can I keep this one, please? Mm. I'm like, it's up to you. It can hang back here in, our, in your room and just stay there. Or it'll grant a wish to another kid and make that kid happy for life. Mm. So we realized that we were maintaining the phase. So three things happened in this situation. One was that she was healing internally with paint Mm. and color. And she found her journey and her career is the word um, with paintbrush because right now she's in art college. We were granting wishes to families that we don't know who they are, where they were, but we were making other people's lives very colorful Mm. by raising money and giving away like her last painting was sold for $90,000. So she raised $90,000, $90,000. It was a very interesting, very emotional moment. We were used to 9,000, 15,000, but 990 was unbelievable for us um, at that point. Mm. So she raised $200,000 before she left for college for make a wish. Mm. And uh, that was the second thing we realized we were, helping people that we didn't even know at that point. And the third thing that happened was I found myself, as I said earlier, that this is who I am. This is what gives me joy is helping and making my life about others, Mm -hmm. doing things about others. So, you know, just a simple paintbrush can empower so many people. And that's when the growth happened that one of the wish nights, um, the which is phase four. That is phase four where this little girl who's seven walks up to me with a teddy bear and she goes did you know that i have named this teddy bear after your daughter john b mm-hmm. and i'm like okay make me cry now yeah. and i didn't even realize that how much we had done at that point and how much we had grown as a family that our mission and our aim and everybody in the community knew that if you want to talk about make a wish uh, you can talk about to us as a family, but how much we had grown together that it was a routine. Mm. So we forgot the pain and her procedures and everything in this journey of where we are today. Wow. I, um, I, I've gone through physical suffering and pain and someone shared something with me that has stuck in it. It reminds me of your story that perhaps some detours aren't, always detours perhaps they're actually the path yes you're right you have made your path by walking through it in these in this struggle i mean i just listening to your the story of your daughter going can i keep one when she made a commitment to give them away the real hard struggle of even walking the path after you've made a decision and you're like oh this one i want to keep but why am I here? What am I doing? What is it I'm trying to accomplish? I want to bless others. I want to help others. I want to encourage others. I want to bring my color into their life. Tell us what your daughter's doing now. She actually, two things that I'm very proud of her about. One is she got an admission at SCAD, which is the Savannah College of Art and Design. Uh, she's, uh, you know, obviously in the same profession, what her passion was. Mm. Uh, wants to be a graphic designer, but her ultimate goal was to work for Disney. So she's right now at Disney, uh, doing the Disney college program. Best part is this is the first time she went back to Magic Kingdom after her wish was granted. So she goes back. She went for the first time as a wish kid and she goes back now to, you know, be there at the college program. Mm -hmm. And she goes, mom, it was so different. Now she sees wish kids coming in Mm -hmm. and she makes sure if she sees a wish kid, she's like, you know, mom, this is so amazing. This is so interesting. Um, So it's a full circle. You, whatever you get, you have to give back. That's why Mm -hmm. we are here on this planet. Talk about that illustration of the Japanese term 
Kintsugi. Because I ran a franchise and I was very much in touch with the Japanese uh, culture, I came across this term called Kintsugi, which very much in, you know, goes very well with my philosophy in life that every Kintsugi is basically the Japanese art of repairing broken ceramics. Mm-hmm. So there is a crack in the ceramic, they fill it up with gold. And with that gold? is where with gold, like real yes. gold. And it okay. becomes, with time, the more cracks there is, there's more gold in it and it becomes very valuable. And I was in Tokyo and when I came across this, this term and that is when I realized I was sitting at one of the temples, the Buddha temples there, and I realized that that is what our life has become. It's Kintsugi where every single crack in my life has, when you fill it up with experiences, which is gold, you don't know at that point who are you impacting. Mm-hmm. It can be a powerful lesson for somebody who needs to hear that sentence just at that point when they're going to break. And you want to share your story with others. Like a lot of, I respect people who want to keep their stories, but sharing your story with others, you can help someone. It connects us. Connects us to, like, just like I have heard the word Kintsugi from someone, my story I'm hoping will help some mom or a dad sitting outside in the hospital or anyone who's going through hardship, that, you know what, I'm going to take my pain and I'm going to learn from this experience and grow so that I become valuable for next time when I face challenges in life. I'm going to learn from my previous ones. That's one. And the second would be that I don't know who's going to get impacted by my story and I'll be, that will be my good deed on this planet. Mm. Hey, thanks for joining me and Manu as we explore ways to really reinvent yourself through, as Manu calls them, the four stages that lead to growth. Hey, if you'd like to hear Manu's 10-minute TEDx talk, stay tuned after the podcast credits for an unedited version of how changing your mindset can help you grow. Hey, also, quick question. Are you happy with your website? If not, maybe our team at Inspiring Growth can infuse your website with superpowers. Well, maybe not superpowers, but at least get more visitors who become customers for you. If you'd like a free website review, drop by inspiringgrowth.biz. That's inspiringgrowth.biz and click on free stuff. There is a simple reason leaders trust Inspiring Growth. Results. Now, let's jump back into my conversation with Manu. Shahi. You, you talk about change as such a powerful coach. To talk more about that. There are two things I believe is one, when it comes to your life partner, I mean, I'm adding something for you is your body is your best life partner. Your body. Uh huh. Just because it knows when you're hungry, when it needs rest, what mm. you need to do, where. So as human beings, we need to work on that as something to keep in mind that mm-hmm. your body is your, your life partner and change is your coach. So when you have, have accepted these two things, I think you are complete in yourself because when change can teach you so much stuff in life, you embrace change. It's your coach. It teaches you and it can change its mind anytime mm. that, okay, I was taking you in this journey in this direction, but I've decided to change my mind and I'm going to go ahead and uh, give you a different direction mm. at that point. So it, if you are open with you, have, if you have an open mindset that yes, a change will come and I had a plan A, it doesn't work. I'm going to go for option plan B or option B, um, learn from it. Don't, don't blame change for anything because things can happen. A natural disaster can happen. A medical illness can happen. If you, the, there's a planned change and an unplanned change. The unplanned change is where you learn the maximum in your life. And it tests your waters saying how strong you are. I am imagining that many of the Inspiring Growth listeners right now can relate to this idea that change comes. It happens. Uh, The term that I have been introduced to through my mindfulness meditation since all of my health issues is the term impermanence. That there's really nothing permanent per se. There will always be change. Totally. Change is constant. That's the only thing that we, ha- we know that's going to happen. Yeah. Relationships, health, wealth, your mental status, everything is going to change over time. Who I was, you know, even in your relationship with your family and your spouse, who I was when I got married in my 20s is not who I am in my 30s and not what I'm going to be in my 70s. 
So he needs to be more open to change. I need to be open on change. And when in relationships, you've been married, how long? 31 30, years? 31, said? yes. 31. And for me, it's 25 this year. Uh, we need to be open to that change that happens that, okay, my husband has changed and I have changed. Yeah. Um, so that's another very important aspect that this thing taught me, this journey with my daughter, because we all were going through change at the same time. Yeah. It was just not me with my job or he with his job. It was the whole family. So we all changed as a family too, and we grew. You saw face-to-face lots of families who this change, this health issue, these medical issues actually caused the families to disintegrate. You, you yes. saw that. What Talk about that a little bit, because those these unexpected changes, these tornadoes, these health issues of life can also do something to people that isn't this beautiful story that you have just told us. So there was one, another family, a boy, same age as uh, my daughter who got diagnosed and dad just couldn't accept that this has happened. Mm. Um, And as a result, he decided to walk out of the marriage and left mom with the the son who was diagnosed and uh, they had another daughter. And so I saw that I was always wondering why, that happens Mm -hmm. and uh, then there were there's another person whose mom actually he found out uh, he was adopted and he found you know the the biological mother he couldn't accept it so he went into alcohol he became an Mm -hmm. alcoholic so i have seen people take the other route other direction when their face changed they just are not strong enough to ask for help and Mm -hmm. uh, they go into a shell they don't want to talk about it but when I was going through the Ziegler training, it was kind of interesting, Mark, that I came across three gentlemen in the training whose kids were diagnosed with some kind of illness. You talk about the Ziegler, just for our audience that may not be, uh, have not been introduced to Zig Ziegler, in a sentence, how would you describe Zig Ziegler? Zig Ziegler was introduced to me by my brother in India who gave me, he came into my life for a reason. Okay. Zig Ziegler's books and his uh, Born to Win that sentence, actually, that's a title that gave me a lot of power. Mm-hmm. So he came in that time in my life when I started my second phase of my career. I opened a franchise and his, just the title, his book, Born to Win, mm-hmm. even if, I, if you don't read it, it's, it's right there. It's like, yeah. you're born to win. You're, you know, you're engineered for success. That's who you are. Why would you give up? So I have a little mm-hmm. coffee mug which says born to win. And uh, winning is obviously, it has a lot of different meanings for different people. Yeah definitions but that reminded resonated with my dad what had said to me you are born to win those of you who have not experienced zig ziglar go youtube him or take a look at board to win he is um i don't know if it was zig or somebody else that once said i speak at 200 words a minute with gust up to 800 like he is <laughs> boom, 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 boom. yes yes he's very <laughs> so, very proud so um yeah so you met some people and I totally interrupted your chain. Yes, at the zigzag. No, no, which is fine. At the zigzagler training, I met a couple of gentlemen whose kids were diagnosed with um, actually three. It was kind of interesting. Three in one room, and me four. Four in one training session with kids with um, you know childhood illnesses is strange. So I was sitting next to this gentleman, and I asked him like, "How did you feel about this?" Because I never got to understand what my husband was going through at that point when my daughter was diagnosed, um, because men. Some men by nature, they don't, they don't like to talk about like women do. We can talk to girlfriends and everybody about what we're going through. What we're feeling. Um, men have two emotions, happy, sad. Yes. <laughs> it's really <laughs> a short conversation usually. We don't, we don't realize that the, the language of women, the womanese, is that there's a whole lot more emotions between those two. I asked this gentleman, I'm like, how did it make you feel? And mm. he goes, he went into a shell. He says, because men by nature like to be like, what is it? The head of the family, that structure that I am responsible for my family Mm -hmm. and situations like this made them feel that I am not in control anymore. Out of control. Yes. So as a result, they go into a shell and Mm -hmm. they might want to go back, connect with their own, maybe their mom or dad of anybody, or just, just not talk to anybody, which is normal. That is their way of dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And I, that was my moment, I guess, that I understood my husband way more mm-hmm. in the situation that I never realized I was so busy being taking care of my daughter and her happiness and that we did not communicate how I was feeling as a mother or he was feeling as a father. 
because we were like that we don't have time for that we just need to take care of the health issue mm. now when we talk about it it's better but for those who are going through this stuff and they're listening to this podcast my message would be everybody needs processing time they everyone's processing speed is different mm. their stay at a different stage of growth is going to be different some may take a longer time at acceptance and as long as they have a good tribe then they can move them from acceptance to maintenance phase and maintenance to show them how far they've come uh, mm. that is what the tribes are for to be honest mm. tribes such a great phrase how would you define tribes in your world i am blessed to have really good tribe around me even though my majority of my family the, the world is so connected now because of mm-hmm. technology there are two things i have my tribe of friends who i call my uh, relative you know they are they are there for me when yeah. i need them and then i have my books as my other tribe yeah. i fall back to book all yeah. the time uh, there was a book that i had read at that point was called where there is light mm-hmm. and i was holding on to it for during our treatment phase because it gave me every single section that i really wanted to hear uh, at that moment mm-hmm. so there is always something you want to hold on to um, either it is a book or a person or some some form that's giving you strength yeah So there's the there's the flesh and blood of a tribe of people that you can relate to that you can count on and then there's this there's the books and the podcasts and your church and your in your community that tribe of people that um we also desperately need to stay connected and to make it through that acceptance and maintenance yes but your tribe will change from each stage mm talk about so that so that is so that is something because the tribe the people come into your life for a reason when mm-hmm. i'm a strong believer when you are ready um, by default by nature i'm a happy person mm-hmm. i believe that you stay positive things and you're going to attract positive stuff um so when like even my mom who's was diagnosed at the same time with my daughter was diagnosed uh, she was mm-hmm. you know dealing with her stuff in india i was like mom stay positive because those positive talks are going to bring positive things in your thoughts into your mind and heals you and uh, that is so when you go f- from one stage to the other and you let's say you finish this four stages of growth with the medical stuff and now you're going back to life with the profession you might actually at that point those people might be more judgmental to you you might might find people who are judging you and then you go you know what you sit down and take a moment and say that person is reminding me of my hardships mm. but i have grown out of it now i have grown to the next phase of my life i am thankful for they came into my life but maybe i need to find my new tribe which is not reminding me of the bad days it's bringing me more positive stuff your path has led you to walking with women and kids who are these women and kids and tell us more about what that looks like so in my profession when it came to education i had interaction with lots and lots of kids of course more than 2000 kids with my franchise and, uh, and what was the name of the franchise it's kumon k u m o n it was a math and reading facility after school program which i sold 2 years back i sold my franchise and even now i'm working with kids and you know when i was meeting parents and seeing the disconnect between the parents of teenagers and the kids themselves i realized that there has to be something that needs to connect so when it comes to women i have realized in my own journey that having a a tribe as i'm a big fan of having support group having some scaffolding is really really important we talk about our kids till they are 5 oh my gosh he's you know walking crawling eating learning abc's and when the troubles begin we back off mm-hmm. somehow we don't want to share our troubles or any hardships we are having with our kids hmm. with our friends because it's a fear of judgment ah that i'm not a good enough mom and you will see that across the board with pta meetings anything in the community that they would they would like someone to come and talk to them about drugs depression mental illness but they won't show up to the meetings because suddenly they have that fear of being judged that i'm not a good enough parent mm mm-hmm. So that and for that reasons I there are two things that you know started doing in the community one was coffee and learn where we call speakers during morning time have a cup of coffee with these speakers and uh, where these speakers come in and uh, parents uh, share um, one thing i realized mark is to change the topic 
I don't say ADHD or I will not say mental illness or depression. It's like how to have a positive influence on your child, how to have a growth in mindset. Giving something positive in this negative world is so important. Mm-hmm. And having those topics for the seminars, having a little more has a like, yes, let's go back, go back, go to these seminars, learn something in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Why we are coming to these seminars because we have a problem. So I want them to go back with some solutions, how to, and I'm not alone. That's a big thing. So that's one thing. And the other thing was with my lean in that I've mentioned before that I do, which is an organization where we meet once a month, we talk about the work life, the issues that women face and changes we go through. When we go back to work, I have personally gone back to work twice and changed my career path. So when you go back to work, what changes you have to see personally, professionally, and as a family. Mm-hmm. So having that support group in the community is also important. So those are the two things that I've realized with my own journey, that if I could share that with the women and, and empowering kids to find solutions uh, to the problems that we all have faced at, at with kid, as kids, like maybe our issues were a little different, but we all had issues too growing up. Um, having that <laughs> some more than others definitely and the fact is we had parents or somebody out there available to help us out yeah and i feel our teenagers don't have they have a lot of judgment by everyone all the time yeah so that's important <laughs> i remember when i was a kid in the early 60s the the drug of choice is ritalin and i was kind of a ritalin test child so i i remember my mother we this is a myth of course but my mother would say i want you to take this medicine um someday god's going to use you but in the meantime take this <laughs> <laughs> i said mom did it help you she goes well i don't know if it helped you but it helped me she said it helped that is true you know it's really interesting that firead is a program by yale university which they did a survey on what stresses the teenagers the most and it was very surprising it was not education it was not uh you know technology it was why is that child doing more than i am mm, that was a number one stress uh, among the teenagers comparison of why he's doing more or things like that but yeah. i think the experiences that we have in our life and go it's about giving back to in some form either to women to kids or spreading your messages that is the role that we have when people say god will not give you more than what you can handle and i feel that's the message because the idea is you want to give back and share your experiences so that others can learn too and that's what i love so much about your story you went through such struggle with your daughter and you went through so m- many difficult hard times and you found a path not just for your daughter but for yourself through your struggles and I just love that about your story. Mark, I'm not the only one to be very, you know, I'm not the only one who's gone through something like this. There are millions of families out there who've been through, everybody has a hardship in life. And the idea is how to go ahead and make the best lemonade out of the sour lemons. Well, that's true. But as you said, most people will hide their hardship. Yes. And that disconnects us. When, when you talk about sitting down with coffee and learning and you allow space for people to talk about their hardship, isn't that the place where, where vulnerability and connection actually takes place? Definitely. That is what women need to do or parents need to do. Go out and talk because everybody, we tell our kids all the time, don't be afraid of asking questions to the teacher. Because mm-hmm. trust me, if you have a question, there are five other kids who have the same question. Mm-hmm. But we don't apply the same thing to ourselves. Why is that? Because of the fear of judgment that I am the best. I have to have that impression that I am, you know, my family is perfect. Everything is perfect. Yeah. Uh, we clean up a house before everybody has to come in. Why wouldn't we let people come in the way we live? <laughs> Sometimes we, we clean up the house before the housekeeper comes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You are so that stresses a lot of women, actually. That, oh, let me oh tell God, you, I know this firsthand, and I will not <laughs> drop any names of my wife at all. <laughs> I agree with you because then I, I actually I'm guilty of doing that too. So I tell my husband, I'm cleaning up the mess, like yeah. I, I'm picking up the mess, 
and to make sure the house is clean uh, because otherwise things will just be like this. It won't make a difference. It's it's easy to blame social media these days, right? To say people are airbrushing and Photoshopping their life to post it on Instagram or Facebook or, or on Snapchat. But you can't Photoshop kindness. You can't Photoshop connection. And that's the piece I think that is so fascinating about the path you're on. You're just, you're creating a space within tribes. Now for people who would like to connect with you. Okay. I know they're not going to be able to jump into Flower Mound and Dallas, Texas and come to a coffee and learning, but you do other things to help people connect. What's the best way to reach you? I will definitely say email is the best. Okay. It is something it's personal. You can, you know, people can email me if they have questions and how to, if they have things they want to learn, they want to grow, mainly if they have pain and they want to see how they can go ahead and give it a shape and make it move forward and help others, mm. email is the best way to connect with me. It's manu, M-A-N-U dot N dot Shahi, S-H-A-H-I at gmail.com. Perfect. M-A-N-U dot N as in Nancy dot S H A. H-I at gmail.com. Thank you again, Manu, for being a part of Inspiring Growth. I know you've inspired me, and uh, Lord willing, you'll inspire many, many more. Well, there you have it. Change can be so transforming, even if it feels devastating. I really hope you'll go back and listen again. And would you share it and rate it and review it. I mean, this conversation with Manu can help people everywhere manage crisis and difficult moments on paths to growth. Did you hear how down to earth Manu really is? So much so that she gave her email. So if you'd like to start a conversation with Manu, email her at manunshahi at gmail.com. That's M-A-N-U dot N as in Nancy dot S-H-A-H-I at gmail.com. And if you'd like to hear Manu's 10-minute TEDx talk, stay tuned right after the podcast credits for an unedited version of how changing your mindset can really help you grow. Well, special thanks to today's podcast editor, Dylan Garvin, with Studio D Podcast Production. Just got back from an overseas trip with his family to do some good in the world. Grateful for Dylan. And I'm grateful for you as well. Thanks for listening. If you're a leader and you're wanting to grow your organization, reach out to me personally at inspiringgrowth.biz. Let's set up a video chat. I'm Mark B. Fisher. And remember, our best connections of growth with others happens when we're kind, when we're present, and when we ask good questions. We are introduced to change the day we are born. We make space, we change relationships, we change lives, and we make space for ourselves because we are now gonna be exposed to change. We build our immune system towards change over a period of time. There are people out there who have a great immune system, they accept change without a problem. There are people like me who actually develop an immune system towards change with time and experiences and age. And then there are people that I often meet who are totally scared of the word change because change is powerful. I want you to think of a moment in your life when something so impactful has actually shaped your journey where you are today or contributed it in some form. Change, when it happens, the chances are when you are thinking of that moment, you remember when it happened, what exactly you were doing at that point, and how it impacted you. That is the point of origin of change. I am here today to take you from that point of origin to the four steps that you will follow and see where you've come with that change. Change comes in two forms. It can be planned, it can be unplanned. Planned change is simple. It's something that we have actually feel a need, a want, and a desire to change something in our life we actually initiate the change and bring it into action. However, the results can be totally unexpected. Me moving into this country was a planned change. Getting married to a man I had never met was another planned change. 
Going back to work was a planned change, and selling my business was another calculated change I made in my life. All four have different results. Some are work in progress, some had to be changed further. But however, going back to work was a planned change, but leaving my job was unplanned. It was in 2001 that I took my then two-and-a-half-year-old daughter to an emergency room thinking she has a fracture. It was planned all night that I will take a day off, my husband will take a day off, and we will head to the emergency room. And uh, we went thinking she has a fracture. We came out with her diagnosis of leukemia. I was, at that point, sitting on the first step of change called denial. That is typically happens when you hear, when you wake up in the morning and you hear that you've lost a loved one, you go to work and you've lost your job, or in my case, my two and a half year old was diagnosed with leukemia. I was sitting on the first steps of denial day one, crying, day two, crying, day three, crying, till somebody walked up to me in the emergency room and it said to me that emotional pain lasts only 20 minutes. Rest is all self-inflicted you need to actually get up and take care of someone because someone needs you right now. So that was the first hand that came in my life that took me from stage one of denial to the second stage of acceptance. I moved into the next stage of acceptance and acceptance again can have two phases. There are people who accept change in a different way. They will go into substance abuse, they will go take help from alcohol or actually walk away from the situation. I had a friend whose son was diagnosed. His father decided to walk out of the situation because he couldn't handle the change. Then there is the other aspect of change where we take help from, we are strong enough to take help from those, our loved ones, our church members, our community members, books, automobile university like podcast. We just find strength. And I found strength in a book called Where There Is Light. And that is the book I held on to because Change is a very, very powerful coach. You can learn as much as you can from that word change because change can change its mind anytime. And that's what change did to me. We had yet again planned a day that was Jan 13th of 2004 that we decided to celebrate the end of the treatment for our two and a half year old daughter who was now five. And we were celebrating, eating a nice dinner when the telephone call rang at 8.30 p.m. letting us know that she had a relapse. Suddenly, I was on the steps of denial one more time, sitting there asking myself this question, what did I do now? Why me? Where did we go wrong? Because I'm again on the steps of denial, but then there are people that you meet in your life and you often go, that person has so many series of misfortunate, unfortunate events that happen. It does. And at that point, saying my stay at the steps of denial was little longer this time, but then I realized I had the experience of acceptance, so I moved on to the next stage of acceptance. And when I was there, I had her oncologist, the second person in my life who walked up to me and said that it was his job to make her healthy and my job to make her happy. And he took me to the next stage of managing a new you, which was called the maintenance phase. We moved there and we accepted what was there. And the rule number one, when you move on to acceptance, is never ever compare your life to what it was yesterday. It's a new life, it's a new you. So don't compare your life to what it was yesterday. Don't compare your life to somebody else whose life is perfect because your normal now is different from everybody else's normal. We're gonna create a new normal and that's when my five-year-old asked a question. Mom, I got the diagnosis the second time. Will Make-A-Wish Foundation, which grants wishes to kids with life-threatening medical conditions, grant me another wish? And then I told her they have a one-wish policy. She says, but I got it twice. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And that time, she had a six-inch tool in her hand dipped in color, and she was painting. And that time, I told her, we're going to actually change something this time. And I looked at her and said, we're going to go ahead and change and make this black and white life colorful. You're gonna go ahead and paint and see if you can spread this magic everywhere else. She goes, what does that mean? We're like, we're gonna grant wishes instead. So three things happened at that particular stage. One, that five-year-old girl at that point found her journey. She found healing, she found hope, she found life, and she found herself in that journey, and she today found her career in that journey too, that she painted and gave hope 
to herself, and she recovered faster and on, in that particular process. Second thing that happened in that journey is I found myself as a woman, as a mother, as a wife, as a friend, and I found the meaning of my name Manu, which meant making a new you. What that meant to me was that I found myself, that was, I was wasting time in doing so many things that were not even important, and then if I had not had this situation in my life, I would be a, a regular family just dealing to nine to five job and trying to do the work-life balance, and here I am actually spending quality time with my daughter. And the third thing that happened, which was never planned by anybody at this point was that that magic of her painting was spreading everywhere. She sold her first painting for $40 and her last for $90,000. She raised $200,000 by just selling her art and donated every single penny to Make-A-Wish Foundation. We did not realize that the magic of her giving and her coloring was coloring so many people's lives and helping kids with life-threatening medical conditions that at that point, I, we realized that one of the charity events, a six-year-old girl came up to me and said, did you know that I have named my teddy bear after your daughter, Janvi? And she was the third person in my life who actually took my hand and took me to the fourth stage called growth. Standing on the fourth stage of growth, I looked back and I saw, oh my gosh, I have come through Denial, acceptance, denial, acceptance to managing my life, and here we are on growth that we have actually changed lives of people that we never met. So I would like to wrap up this conversation, this talk with this word called kintsugi. Kintsugi is a Japanese term, meaning they repair a crack in a ceramic with gold. Every single person is broken in some form. Any accidents of time, broken relationships can actually be repaired and that valuable experience that you have when you're repairing that becomes gold. Do not let it go waste because you don't know who's watching you. You don't know at this point that who's gonna cross your path in life and actually learn from you. But more importantly, at that point, when you have that valuable experience, you are actually ready for the next unexpected change in your life. So you are the most precious thing out there. So do not hide your scars. Don't hide your broken relationships and fill it up with the valuable experiences because change is very powerful. And in this whole journey, every single one of you is making a new you. Thank you.